Welcome to this episode of Come Follow Me, Disciples Journey. This episode will cover chapter one of Mormon. So in chapter one, we start, and again, it's hard to tell when you're if you read on your phone or, or another digital device, but uh, this is happening about 322 AD. That's important, and as we go through this, this week, I'll try to point out what time frame we're in, because in, it kind of helps even to see how much time has passed. It helps to see how old Mormon uh, is during these things that we're learning about. So it starts, and he's he's real young, and Amron comes to him and says, look, I perceive that thou art a sober child and are equipped to observe. So when you're 24 years old, go and get the plates. Here's where they are. I mean, he tells them where they are. And uh, his, it says that he's that was when he was 10. And then when he was 11, his dad takes him and they go south uh, into the land uh, of Zarahemla. So they're, they had been living in the land northward. Uh, Bountiful, which is where Christ uh, visited the people, right? At the temple in, in Bountiful. That's That was also north of Zarahemla, but where Mormon was, don't really, I don't really know. Uh, but north of there, so we come, they come down to live in Zarahemla. And there was already a war. So he's 11 years old, and there's war between the Nephites and the Lamanites. And... The Nephites in this war were able to kind of push back the Lamanites. But it says, Wickedness did prevail upon the face of the whole land, insomuch that they that the Lord did take away his beloved disciples, and the work of miracles and healing did cease because of the iniquity of, of the people. So this is where, I mean, we're, we're, he's 11 years old. This is early on in his life. And he's he obviously, he's writing this later. He's re- recalling this. But at 11 years old, he's saying, now that I think back about it, I can see that the hand of the Lord had already ceased to uphold uh, these people. They had already stopped letting God prevail in their life. We learn um, in Helaman 4 that the Spirit of the Lord does not dwell in unholy temples. They had become an unholy vessel, an unholy temple, an unholy people, and the Spirit ceased to strive with them. It stands out to me that Mormon write, but, but wickedness did prevail insomuch the Lord to take away his beloved disciples and the work of miracles and healing did cease. Why does that stand out to me? Well, because his son in Mormon, uh, in, in the end of this book, he ends up, Moroni ends up finishing it. Uh, it's in Mormon chapter 9. Um, Moroni says, And the reason why he ceaseth to do miracles among the children of men is because that they do dwindle in unbelief and depart from the right way. Know ye not the God, and they know not the God in whom they should trust. And before that, he asks, why, if there were miracles wrought by men, why has God ceased? Why has God ceased to perform miracles? And then he tells us. Mormon himself, in the book of Moroni now, it's a little confusing. I, I quote the book of Mormon and it's Moroni writing. I'm going to quote the book of Moroni and it's Mormon writing. But he says uh, something very similar in writing to his son Mormon. He says, Behold, I say unto you, nay, for it is by, uh, so shall there, uh, he's, I won't read the whole thing. It's a little longer than I was uh, uh, wanting it to be here. He basically says the same thing that Mormon said. Why would miracles cease? And then he answers it and says, for it is by faith that miracles are wrought, and it is by faith that angels appear unto the minister unto men. Wherefore, if these things have ceased, woe be unto the children of men, for it is because of unbelief, and all is vain. 
Mormon tells us right here in his, the beginning of his book that things were already vain for his people because by the time he was 11 years old, miracles had already ceased. And why does that see? Why does they? Why do they cease? Because the they cease being the Lord ceases being with the people because of their faith, their lack of faith. But then we get to this this uh, verse that I mentioned and read in the overview introduction. And that is Mormon saying, And I being 15 years of age and being somewhat of a sober mind, therefore I was visited of the Lord and tasted and knew of the goodness of Jesus. This is one of my favorite scriptures because of the whole context here. Mormon lived in a terrible time. He lived with terrible people all around him. But he was a good guy. His family might have been good and he ends up getting married and having a son who's pretty good and that individuals can be blessed no matter what's going on in their nation. No matter what's going on in the world, in their communities, in their neighborhoods. Salvation is a deeply personal thing. And it depends entirely on our keeping our covenants to the Lord. And I say that, maybe it sounds a little dangerous because it really depends on Christ. And it's because of His grace and His power and His mercy and the atonement of Jesus Christ. And the screaming child in the background probably has something to do with it too. Maybe not. But it all, I just, but for our part, it has to do with us. It doesn't, other people can influence our salvation. They can make all the wicked choices they want. They can have miracles cease, but we can still have miracles in our life. We can still taste and know of the goodness of Jesus. No matter what. Moroni's uh, Mormon son Moroni has a similar uh, lesson taught to him, and while he's uh, compiling the book or uh, writing the book of Ether for us, the Lord came to him and said, "If they have not charity, it mattereth not unto thee. Thou hast been faithful; wherefore thy garments shall be made clean." It doesn't matter if other people have charity; it doesn't matter what they do. You can be washed clean because you have had charity, because you're faithful. That's it. And we learn that pretty clearly here from Mormon. Verse 16 says, And I did endeavor to preach unto the people, but my mouth was shut, and I was forbidden that I should preach unto them. For behold, they had willfully rebelled against their God. And they uh, and the beloved disciples were taken away out of the land because of their iniquity. This idea of willful rebellion is not new in the Book of Mormon. 3 Nephi chapter 6 highlights this. 4 Nephi chapter 1 highlights this. Uh... I mean, the sons of Mosiah, I like this. They, the uh, anti-Nephi-Lehi's laid down their weapons of rebellion, willfully rebelling. Jeffrey R. Holland said, the, the maturing Mormon by then 15 years of age stood beyond the sinfulness around him and rose above the despair of his time. Consequently, he was visited of the Lord and tasted and knew of the goodness of Jesus, trying valiantly to preach his, to his people, but God but God, as God occasionally does when those with so much light reject it, Mormon literally had his mouth shut. He was forbidden to preach to a nation that had rebelled against their God. These people had rejected the miracles and the messages delivered by them, uh, delivered them by the three translated Nephite disciples, who now had also been silenced in their ministry and taken from the nation to whom they had been sent. Uh, on the same note, and talking about the willful rebellion against God, uh, Elder Dean L. Larson, uh, 
uh, said this, historically, the drifting away from, uh, from the course of life marked out by the Lord has occurred as individuals begin to make compromises with the Lord's standard. This is particularly, particularly true when the transgression is willful and no repentance occurs. Remember Mormon's description of those who turned away from the, tra- from the true path in his day. They did not sin in ignorance. They willfully rebelled against God. It did not occur as a universal movement. It began as individual members of the church knowingly began to, to make compromises with the Lord's standard. They sought justification for their diversions and the knowledge that others were compromising as well. Those who willfully sin soon to seek soon seek to establish a standard of their own with which they can feel more comfortable and with which justifies their misconduct. They also seek the association of those who are willing to drift with them along this path of self-delusion. As the drifting individuals as the number of drifting individuals increases, their influence becomes more powerful. It might be described as the great and spacious building syndrome. The drifting is more dangerous when its adherents continue to overtly identify with and participate with the group that conforms to the Lord's ways. Values and standards that were once clear became become clouded and uncertain. The norm of behaviors begins to reflect this beclouding of true principles. Conduct that would once have caused revulsion alarm now becomes somewhat commonplace. And I don't know if you could describe today today's world any better than that. Uh, and it's why church leaders are called to stand up for truth and right and to say, these things are not part of Christ's gospel. These things are not part of the, are not true principles. Because it's, like uh, as Elder uh, Larson said, it becomes more dangerous when people who claim to be members of the church start to accept certain things because then it becomes easier for other members of the church and for people outside of the church to justify and say, hey, that seems okay. But it all starts with a willful rebellion against God. And then it turns into justification and association with other people who are saying the same things. So in uh, ending um, chapter one, it says, uh, we have this introduction, reintroduction of the Gadiant robbers. They're among the Lamanites. They infest the land. Uh, people tried to hide up their treasures in the earth because they couldn't keep them. And the Lord cursed the land. It came to pass that there were sorceries and witchcrafts and magics. Um, James E. Faust talked about this. He said, It is not good practice to become intrigued by Satan and his mysteries. No good can come from getting close to evil. Like playing with fire, it is too easy to get burned. The only safe course is to keep it well distanced from, is to keep well distanced from him, and any of his wicked activities or nefarious practices. We have to acknowledge there is an acknowledgement. Satan has power. He has dominion on this earth. Stay away from it. Uh, also, um, in chapter two, we have this uh, mention that. Uh, for behold, no man could keep that which was his own, the thieves and robbers and the murderers and the magic art and the witchcraft which was in the land. Because of those things, they, people were, couldn't keep their own property. They were losing it, being stolen, uh, wasting it on frivolous things, I would imagine. And so you have uh, back in Helaman chapter 12... Mormon, who's, again, remember, he's compiling this from his day, and now he's writing about his day here in Mormon. He talked about that back in chapter 12, that people would be unable and are unable to keep these things, their treasures, because of wickedness. 
Uh, for reference, Helam in chapter 12, verse 18. So moving into chapter 2, what's going to happen is Mormon's going to become the commander and he's going to lead the people in the battle. And they're wicked. They just are wicked, wicked, wicked. So thanks for listening to this episode. Uh, I appreciate uh, you taking the time. Hope you'll join me in the next episode as uh, we discuss and learn about chapter 2 of Mormon.